Welcome to Practical Christian Living. I don't know that there could be anything better for us than to be identified as Christians by our actions. Now, there's all kinds of fruit that we have that prove that we have committed our lives to Christ. Uh, one of those fruits is that we begin to be more generous when we commit our lives to Jesus. Jesus said the world would know that we are his followers by the love we have for each other, by our actions toward others. And that has never meant more than today when we are seeing so much division. Sometimes we may not even realize it, but when we are spending time with God and seeking his will above ours, our fruit, our love of our Christian life shows to others and shines brightest in this dark world. With a message out of 1 Timothy 5, verses 1 through 16, here's Robert Furrow, pastor of Calvary, Tucson. The title of our message today is The Time to Help. Solomon, in the book of Ecclesiastes, said, There is a season for everything and a time for every purpose under heaven. In the same passage, he said of God that he makes all things beautiful in their time. There is a time to give, and there is a time to receive. I don't know about you, but I find it easier in the time of giving than I do in the time of receiving. I think most of us are that way. We may be pushed to the edge. We might find ourselves struggling. We may need to go out and look to receive. But I would much rather give than receive. And I think that's a matter of pride, by the way. I think our pride strikes us, and we don't want to have to ask for anything. I, I find that true on all kinds of levels in my life. A few years ago, we had a pastor's conference. We had several pastors from not only other Calvaries, but, but churches here in Tucson. And uh, we had an afterglow one night. It's a time where we... Just play music and wait quietly before the Lord and have time of silence to see if God would lay on anyone's heart anything to share or say. And um, while we were waiting, I was sitting on the front steps. We were in next door, but I was waiting on the front steps and I think Paul was playing music. And a guy came up during the afterglow and said, God told me to wash your feet. He was a pastor from in town here. And I think he wanted to bless me. Now, if any of you guys have been in any of our studies where we talked about washing feet, Really quickly, they did it in their day, but they wore sandals and they had dirty feet. And it wasn't a religious thing that they did. They'd come into their house and they would say, let me wash your feet. They had a basin there and they washed them. They didn't go through the religion. Have you ever, have you ever been to a foot washing ceremony? Have you guys ever been to them? It's all very religious. You know, when you go up, I mean, it's, there's a chair there and you kneel down in front of someone, you take their foot and you pick it up and splash water on it. I mean, you don't want to just like... <laughs> Right? It's, it's, a, it's kind of a religious, and I don't, I don't like it. I don't think that we were meant to have foot washing ceremonies. I think Jesus is saying, wash one another's feet, serve each other. Take that role of a servant. So when he comes up and he says, God told me to wash your feet, I wanted to say to him, no, he didn't. <laughs> okay? And I'm fine. I washed them earlier today. They're in good shape. All right? I need you to do it. But as I did, as he came up and said that, I just felt like the Lord said, let him do it. And I'm like, all right. So then he starts to take my shoes off. I can take my shoes off, all right? I can take my socks off, all right? And then he washed my feet. And when it was all said and done, it was like, okay, that's over. I would rather be the foot washer than the foot washee, by the way. I would rather be the guy that gives 
than the one who receives. But there's a time for us to receive, and there is a time for us to give. What is a what does a Christian look like? Well, I think if we were to look around the room here, we see that Christians look different. There's all kinds of different people in this room, and depending where you're at, Christians look radically different. What does a Christian smell like? Well, Christians smell different as well. Some smell good and some smell bad. And by the way, if you smell bad, putting cologne on doesn't help the bad smell. Just makes the rest of us not like your cologne with the weird, funky smell that's behind it. Well, all Christians may look different. All Christians may smell different. But when it comes to our actions, what do Christians act like? The differences fall away. And because Christ is working in our lives and making us so that we are Christ-like, we begin to respond and react in the same way because God's doing a work. We call this fruit There is the fruit of our salvation. There is proof that you have been saved because you begin to act like a Christian. You begin to respond like a Christian. On my 50th birthday, my wife decided to do something special for me, and she took me to Carmel, California, Carmel by the Sea, and uh, we stayed there, and and she, she bought a round of golf for me at a place called Pebble Beach, which is a pretty pretty nice place, all right? And... um, I was amazed with it. And when you go, I was, it was unexpected. It's a bucket list kind of a thing. It's something I probably would never do on my own, but having it given to me by my wife was just a blessing. So you want to play well when you go there, all right? So the first couple holes, oh, and you got to have a caddy, by the way. They don't have carts, all right? They have caddy, and the caddy's got to carry yourself around. So got a caddy, and we first few holes, three holes or so, I do pretty good. But I get to the fourth hole, and I shank a shot. And it lands in some high grass, and I can't hit it out of there, so I got to drop it. And the caddy is being nice. I'm sure he's used to people coming and hacking all over Pebble Beach, all right? And uh, he says to me, well, just drop it up here. And I go, that's not, it's back there. The drop's back. So we go back to the place where we need to drop it from. We drop it. I hit it up. It's not a good shot. I, and by this time, I take a triple on the hole. For those of you who don't play, that doesn't mean I'm there in three. That means I'm there in seven. It was a par four. I'm there in seven, all right? And I'm not happy. Uh, I didn't want to come apart, all right? So now I'm walking to the next hole, and I get up there, and I'm, I'm kind of just down on myself. I'm thinking, yeah, you know, yeah, okay. And uh, he says to me, are you a Christian? And I'm really surprised. Yeah, I, I am. And uh, how'd you know? And he goes, by the way you responded when you came apart on that hole. And I, I thought, first of all, Lord, thank you that I passed that test. <laughs> Number one. But as I got walking over the next couple holes, I got thinking about all the Christians that had gone to Pebble Beach to play that this guy had caddied for and that he was able to see by the Christians that there was something different. He noticed that the ones that shared Christ with him had a better attitude on the course than those that didn't so that when he saw it in me, he was able to identify it. And I got, I don't know, kind of a little bit prideful about the Christians that had gone before me and played there because they had acted in such a way where we had acted the same and we were identified by our actions. I don't know that there could be anything better for us than to be identified as Christians by our actions. Now, there's all kinds of fruit that we have that prove that we have committed our lives to Christ. Uh, One of those fruits is that we begin to be more generous when we commit our lives to Jesus. Jesus gave this parable. 
He said, there were the sheep and goats that were gathered before God. And the goats were separated and the sheep were separated. And he said to the goats, I was hungry. I was thirsty. I was naked. I was sick and I was in prison. You didn't feed me. You didn't give me water. You didn't give me clothes. You didn't come visit me. And the goats said, when were you hungry, thirsty, naked, sick and in prison? And we didn't do this. And he said, when you didn't do it to the least of these, you didn't do it to me. So we see that we serve God by ministering to the least of these. When we reach out to those that are struggling and hurting, to those that are impoverished, we are now ministering to God. And so then he turned to the sheep. And he said to the sheep, I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and I was in prison and you visited me. And the sheep say, when, when were you naked, hungry and thirsty? When were you sick and in prison? And we did these things. And Jesus says, when you've done it to the least of these, you've done it unto me. Now, Keith Green was a Christian artist that lived, uh, well, he died in 82 in a, in a plane wreck. And uh, he had a song called The Sheep and the Goats, which he goes over this whole parable. And uh, at the end of the parable, and you can still go on YouTube and you can watch this, just type in Keith Green and uh, Sheep and the Goats and it'll come up. And it's a great song. It's played on the piano. It's powerful. At the end of it, though, he says, the only difference between the sheep and the goats is what they did and did not do. It's a very powerful moment. But what he's not saying is that in order to be saved, you've got to give to the poor. You've got to give to the least of these. He's not saying that. What, what Jesus was saying is, is that's what Christians do. That's how we act. We might not always know how to do it, but we want to. We might not always be as faithful in it as we want to be, but we want to. We want to be those that reach out and give to those that are hurting and struggling. There may be some struggles as to how we give or what we give or how much we should give or to who we can give to that is in the most need, but we want to give. Now, I, I'd like you to open up your, your Bible to, you've got it open there in 1 Timothy chapter 5. Uh, go left to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Just a, just a little bit, you'll come across Corinthians there. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, I don't know what I said before, but chapter 9. Verse 5, let me give you just a little bit of background on this text. Paul, is, uh, Paul has gone out to the Gentile world and established churches all throughout what is modern-day Turkey and modern-day Europe, or at least portion of, of what is modern-day Europe. It was what was Asia Minor in their day and Macedonia in their day. And the church that's in Jerusalem, almost 100% Jewish Christians, by the way, have been ostracized when they made a commitment to Christ. And they have been driven into poverty because they were driven out of their communities. It's like someone living today, working in Provo, Utah, and they, you know, all of a sudden accept Christ and are no longer Mormon. Nobody wants to buy a house from them anymore. Nobody wants to buy anything from them anymore. They get ostracized from their community. The same thing was true in Jerusalem. So the church in Jerusalem had struggled for a couple of decades by the time Paul is writing the second letter to the Corinthians. There's a lot of poverty taking place in the church in Jerusalem. So Paul gathers uh, money from the Gentile communities. They're not suffering as much. And so Paul is gathering a, an offering to take and to help to minister to the saints that are suffering in Jerusalem. And he, he's writing to the Corinthians to say, you guys promised you'd give this. Now I would like you to have it ready before I get there. 
Paul didn't want to show up and have to say, you guys need to dig deeper. All of us here have been in some kind of of an offering, haven't we? All of us here have had some experience where a guy's going to get up now and talk about what needs to be given, and they're going to pass an offering plate. And I want to say this, because we don't pass an offering plate. I want to say there's nothing wrong with it, all right? We haven't done it for 27 years, and God has met our needs. We haven't always done everything we wanted to do, but we've been able to do everything that we need to do and that we believe that God ultimately is leading us to do. And if we did pass an offering plate, it would be awkward, wouldn't it? It'd be awkward in here for us. We'd start to pass and we'd be like, this is weird. I don't know quite what to do with this. Passing an offering plate isn't wrong, but... When people begin to give these offerings, oftentimes they, or begin to take these offerings, oftentimes they will get manipulative. They'll, they're trying to figure out a way to make it as effective as they can. In fact, there are people that you can hire who will come in and take offerings for you because they're good at it. And if you are taught how to take an offering effectively, they teach you, make people laugh. <laughs> Come on, laugh with me. <laughs> make people cry. I won't make you cry right now. And then go for the wallet. That's the, that's the kind of the, the process. You get people, you disarm them with laughing, crying, and then you, you take some money from them. And uh, Paul doesn't want that. He doesn't want any kind of manipulation going on. Probably, well, a few years ago, my oldest boy was 10 at the time. We went down to an event at the uh, TCC Arena. It was a great event. They gave the gospel. It was kind of a feats of strength kind of a thing. Uh, they tore foam books and broke bats and just those, you know, broke ice chunks with their head and those kind of things. And it was awesome. And their presentation was good. And it came time to take the offering. Nothing wrong with that. They were going to pass Kentucky Fried Chicken buckets. Nothing wrong with that. Certainly, they can collect money as well as anything else can. And the guy got up and began to talk about their ministry and how much it cost, and that what they did, television, radio, the different things that they were doing, nothing wrong with that. He then said, I want to read you a letter. And he read a letter of a young girl that was going to kill herself. And she turned on the TV and she saw their, their show. And she committed her life to the Lord. She got saved and began to live for Jesus. Nothing wrong with that. For them to share with the people that were there, listen, we're effective. God's using us. People are being touched and saved and God's even using us to save some people from committing suicide. All of that's good. And I think all of that so far up to this point moved on your heart to give. I had even taken some money out and tucked it into my hand where no one could see it. And I was going to give when the Kentucky Fried Chicken bucket came by. But then the guy took out another letter and said, I want to read you another letter. And he read it. It was a suicide letter. And then he said, this girl never had our program there. And she killed herself. Then he said, if you give today, then you're voting for this letter. And he held up the letter of the girl that had not killed herself. But if you don't give today, then you're voting for this girl. Now, I got really upset. And I put the money back in my pocket. And my oldest boy, who was about 10 at the time, said, you're going to vote for the other letter? (laughs) See, he got it all. He got all the manipulation that went on. And I got the manipulation as well. I've been in other places where they'll have you raise your hand. And then, then uh, if you, if you want to give, then keep your hand raised. And that way they can bring the, you know, the bucket to you or whatever. So then, you know, you're kind of like, well, put my hand down because I don't want to give. I've been in, 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 this is a long time ago, when they would say, take all of the money out of your wallet. I don't think that would really work anymore today because a lot of us are a cashless society. 
I tell my children that when they want money. Dad, can I have some money? I don't have any money. I'm a cashless society. If you, uh, if you, uh, if you could take a debit card, I got some money for you. Other than that, I don't know what to tell you. Get, reach in and get your, all your money out, they would say. Hold it up in the air. And then, you know, when the, when, when, they, when the offering plate goes by, put it in. So then people are like, if they don't want to give all their money, they're like, let me figure out what I want to give and what I want to keep. Right? And so all of that is, all of that is manipulation, or this as a manipulation. If you don't give, then you're going to be cursed. You're living under a curse. You ever heard of the, the, the curse tithe, or the tithe curse, or the law of the tithe? Here's what they say about the law of the tithe. You and I know that we have been set free from the law, right? We don't keep the dietary laws of the, of the Old Testament. We've been set free from them in Christ. We're not under them. Therefore, we enjoy our pork chops and our ham and cheese sandwiches. Both of those would be a problem, by the way, the ham and the cheese, the cheese and the meat together and the ham itself. We enjoy all of that. We don't keep the Sabbath laws. And even those who say, I keep it because I go to church on Saturday, they don't keep it. If you want to keep the Sabbath law and say that you have to keep it and keep it holy like it, like it was in the Old Testament times, you better go back and read what keeping the Sabbath is about because you going to church on Saturday ain't keeping it. It's not even coming close to keeping it. We don't keep the Sabbath laws. Jesus is now our rest. We're set free from that. We don't keep the ceremonial laws. When's the last time you came to church and we cut up a goat up here and put its entrails on the barbecue and barbecued up the, the goat? We don't do those things because we're set free from the law. We don't do them. Then they say, but when it comes to tithing, you're under the law of the tithe. Well, you can't pick and choose. First of all, about the law, you can't pick and choose. You can't say you're under some of it, not under the rest of it. But then they'll say, well, we don't mean by the law because the law of the tithe was around before the law of Moses. So you have Abraham that gave 10% to Melchizedek. You've got Jacob that gave 10% because he chose to. Uh, and that's the law of the tithe. Therefore, you've got a tithe. And if you don't, then like Malachi, you're robbing from God. And you are, you've got bad things happening in your life now. It's because you don't give. And if you gave, you wouldn't have bad things happen to you. They usually get into that kind of, yeah, and God uh, uh, wants to, you know, he's going to curse you and get you. I want to say to you, if you've ever been given that rap, first of all, let's handle it biblically, okay? If we go back to the, what you want to call the law of Abraham or the law of Jacob, the law of the tithe, both Abraham and Jacob gave because they wanted to, not because anybody made them. So if you want to say that there is a law for giving, then that law is that you get to choose if you are going to give or not and what you are going to give. And you are not cursed. There's no connection. It is incredibly bad theology and bad handling of the Word of God to say that you're cursed because you don't give. It was because Abraham wanted to that he gave to Melchizedek. It was because Jacob wanted to. So you get to choose. And you get to decide whether or not you are going to give. Now, God does want us to be generous, and there are all kinds of promises in the Bible that help us with that. Look here at uh, 2 Corinthians 9, verse 5. Paul wants to collect this offering for them, from them, but he wants them to have it ready when he gets there so he doesn't have to manipulate them. In verse 5, he says, Therefore, I thought it necessary, necessary to exhort the brethren to go to you ahead of time, and prepare your generous gift beforehand, which you had previously promised, that it may be ready as a matter of generosity, not as a grudging obligation. He uses the word generosity there twice. Okay? 
God wants us to be generous. I don't think that God is ever getting on our case or, or trying to appeal to our greed. I think God wants us to be generous because He is a generous God. And we are like Him when we're generous. And so then he gives this verse, and this verse is often misused, but I say to you, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. God is saying if you're generous and you give, that God's going to give back to you generously. If you don't give generously, then God's not going to give unto you generously because you're like a channel. As you give, God gives unto you. Uh, there's other verses that say this. The Bible says, give and it will be given unto you, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will men give unto your bosom. The Bible says, cast your bread upon the water and it will come back to you. Now, God is not giving us these verses to appeal to our greed. These guys that, that now, a new teaching out there is that God wants you to be rich. And this isn't a new teaching. It's been around since I was a teenager. It's been a while. That God wants you to be rich and the way you get rich is to give to their ministry, which is always a crack up. Anybody else see a conflict of interest here? Just kind of wondering. God wants you to be rich, and the way you get rich is to give to me. And whatever you give to me, God's going to get back to you because you can't outgive God, and, and God's not going to be a debtor to any man. And, and if you sow sparingly, you reap sparingly. If you sow bountifully, you reap bountifully. And they use all these verses to appeal to people's greed. So that someone sitting there goes, wow, God wants me to be rich. And then, of course, you say, what a coincidence. I want to be rich. And God wants me to be rich. And so, well, we agree on this. So I'm going to give to this guy in order to get... God never gave those verses so that you would become greedy and want to be rich by giving. God gave us those verses so that you would be generous, so that you would know, you know what? I might be struggling a little bit, but I can give because God will take care of me. And if I give bountifully, God will bless me bountifully. If I give sparingly, God will bless me sparingly. He's going to take care of my needs. And the Bible says, test me in this. God said, test me in this in Malachi. And uh, when he was talking about the children of Israel not keeping the law, the real law, and they were robbing from God, God said, test me in this. And they use that verse now, test God in this. And I think to some degree, well, yeah, it's God's word. God said that if you give sparingly, you receive sparingly. If you give bountifully, you receive bountifully. So, hey, give and look at God provide for you. And I think that God will because he wants us to be generous. But then he goes on to say here in verse Seven, let each of you give as he purposes in his heart. What you give is based upon a prayerful decision by you. You get to purpose in your heart what you're going to give. Periodically, I'll have people come up to me and say, Pastor Robert, how much should I give? I want to say to you, first of all, it's probably not a good idea to go and ask pastors how much you should give. Because their next question might be, well, how much do you have? got to have all the information in order to tell you how much you should give. You pray and purpose about what you're going to give. When me and my wife were first married, we prayed about what we were going to give to the church, what we were going to give to those who were poor and struggling, what we call offerings. You have the tithe and the offerings. We decided we wanted to tithe. Now, we're not under any law of tithing, right? We've already covered that. 10%, I think, is a good number. And we had decided, you know what? That's what it was before. That's what Abraham and Jacob did. That's what we were going to do. Not because we had to, not because anybody forced us, not because anybody made, not because we thought we were going to get it by God if we didn't do it. We were going to be cursed by God. Not because we wanted to make sure that we were living in the blessings of God. But we simply felt this is what God wants us to do by prayerfully deciding. You get to do that. You get to choose. You, God didn't want anybody telling you how much you have to give. 
God wants you to prayerfully make a decision and purpose in your heart what it is that you're going to give. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living with Robert Furrow. We hope that our verse-by-verse studies truly help you to see that God is real. He wants a personal relationship with you, and His Word is life-changing. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. For our local listeners, we invite you to join us at one of our two campuses. Our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sundays at 9.45 a.m. Our West Campus, south of Palo Verde and I-10, meets Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 11 a.m. Our midweek service times are Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. at our East Campus and 7.15 p.m. at our West Campus. If you prefer, you can watch our service at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If Practical Christian Living has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org, where you can make a secure one-time donation or sign on to become a monthly partner on a reoccurring basis. Have you accepted Jesus into your life or do you have questions about salvation? We'd love to hear from you. Email us at saved at calvarytucson.com. And don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram at Calvary Tucson or Facebook at Calvary Chapel Tucson. We want to remind our local listeners that you can watch Practical Christian Living TV Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. on KGUN 9. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living.